Welcome to Entrepreneurial Insights, a podcast brought to you by the Society of Entrepreneurs and hosted by Pearson Crutcher and Jay Healy. The Society of Entrepreneurs is a membership organization founded to promote entrepreneurship and provide education and resources to Memphis business owners. In this podcast, we'll have a series of interviews with accomplished business owners and entrepreneurs in Memphis, Tennessee. There are so many great entrepreneurs in Memphis and their stories need to be told. Welcome to Entrepreneurial Insights. Welcome to Entrepreneurial Insights. We are very excited to launch season four and decided to try something a bit different. Episode one is a live panel discussion we hosted here in Memphis about going to market with a new product. The good news is the new product is ice cream. The panel discussion includes Kamisha Wilson, who recently founded Kay's Pints and Scoops, a boutique ice cream maker here in Memphis. We also include Randy Stieferson and Art Cecil, both of whom are members of the Society of Entrepreneurs, accomplished business owners, and have deep experience in the grocery industry. Enjoy our panel discussion. already introduced myself, but I am very excited about today's panel. We have Art Cecil, the infamous Art Cecil. We all miss the days of the Cecil's grocery stores. So Art Cecil, Randy Steverson, we do love our super low, best fried chicken in the city if you've never tried it. Very, very good over on Spotswood and several others in the city. How many super lows do you have now? We have nine. Nine. Actually, we have eight super lows. We have one called Steverson's. Oh, that's right. It's a small store. Very good. And then Kamisha Wilson, who I will say we do an event called Finding the Next Big Thing. Kamisha's ice cream, Kay's Pints and Scoops. Kamisha was the winner of the pitch competition. I do need to clarify that nobody tasted the ice cream until the vote had been taken. But the good news is, is the ice cream was worthy of the win. So we're very excited about that. So when I was talking to Kamisha about this podcast, I guess I should also introduce Jay Healy. Hello, Jay. Hi, Pearson. <laughs> <laughs> Jay is the co-host of our podcast and the works for Beacon Point Partners, right? Beacon Point Advisor. It's a financial advisor. So much smarter than I am. But anyway, so Jay does the podcast with us. So we were talking about Kamisha and taking her product to market. And we realized that this is something that a lot of people have questions about. So the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to allow all of our panelists to tell you a little bit more about who they are. And then we were going to talk about what you need to do if you have a product that you want to take to market. So who are you, Art Cecil? I am Art Cecil, headed the team of grocers that Proudly operated 10 supermarkets in Memphis, a bakery manufacturing facility, and a prepared foods manufacturing facility. And we were lucky enough when the Montesis decided to vacate, we bought one of their stores, which put us in the distribution business, which Randy was a big thing. Pitt did not like that. But, no, uh, no doubt. Mr. Hyde did not like that, but we were able to buy truckloads of merchandise. Sold our business in finally in 1997 and had been retired doing community work since then. He sold his business in 1997. And I think it's very important to note that probably everywhere he goes, people tell him that they want the recipes from the Cecil's Bakery and they miss the stores. And so that's As an huge. aside from that, we have made an arrangement with the Daily Memphian to publish some of our bakery recipes. One has become public and 
I actually made the chocolate chest for Christmas and it was good. And if I can do it, y'all can do it. Trust me. I'll be watching that. <laughs> I'll give you a heads up. <laughs> <laughs> well, and who are you, Randy? Well, I'm Randy Steverson. I'm the chairman of the board of Steverson Incorporated, which operates as Super Low Foods in Memphis. We have eight stores that are in the city limits of Memphis. We have one in South Haven, Mississippi. We've been in business, going back to my dad, since 1944. One of his brothers was in Memphis. He was 4F, which means military won't take you for those who hadn't been subject to the draft. And he wrote my dad, who was in India at the time, flying over the Himalayas, and an uncle who was in Biloxi and said, I found a store, send me all your money. <laughs> so with $3,500, he bought a store on Rembert Street in Midtown between Peabody and Central. And that's how they got started. I just grew up in it. And you took it from a few stores to many, too, so under your leadership. We did. That's right. Kamisha, tell us your story. Well, hello, everyone. I'm Kamisha Wilson, an ice cream enthusiast. Been the founder of Case Paints and Scoops. We are a new creamery here in Memphis. We've been open now about 10 months. We handcraft our own ice cream and we use 40% of our ingredients are sourced from local businesses here in the city. Our thing is to bring smiles to everyone's face. And my favorite moment in seeing someone taste our ice cream is when they smile. And I was like, yes, we did it right. We have about 13 flavors now and we're in 16 stores across the city. So we are new and growing, and I am so excited to be sitting next to these two gentlemen with all the knowledge that I need to learn. <laughs> but it is a pleasure to be here. Very good. Well, why don't we get started by you saying a little bit about, well, I don't know, why don't we start with Art or Randy? What advice would you have for somebody like Kamisha? And then you can talk a little bit about what you found as you were working through that. First thing I would say is you got to have a business plan, and you just got to Go through every segment of your business, starting with distribution, finance, the USDA, insurance. Well, now that you've got your business plan and you've got your accounting and finance settled, you've got to get out there and sell your product. To get into a retail store, you've got to have your product produced in a USDA inspected facility. You've got to have license with the Tennessee Ag for transportation. And you've done those things because you're in three of our stores. Yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> to get it going, you have a boutique product. You're a boutique creamery. And you do need to get the product in people's mouths. And the way to do that is sample. Sample, sample, sample. And even companies like Bluebell and... Turner Dairies periodically sample. You are in a very crowded area, lots of ice cream options. So you got to separate yourself from the mass. And what Randy is suggesting is, I think, critical. You just got to sample. So I'm curious, how does a local brand get into local and or national grocery stores? Well, she's already in local. <laughs> or at least one local. How did she achieve that success? You can tell your story. Well, for me, I had a massive business plan. Actually, I did do a business plan. I really looked at the products that I wanted to imitate, the products that deal well in our industry, in the 
frozen dessert industry, just as well as products that did well across the board. I studied what did you need? I needed a sell sheet. I need people to be able to look at one thing and know what my product offers their store. I developed a sell sheet. I actually participated in this program called Proof Incubator System. It was really for restaurants, but a lot of the information that they included in there about budgeting, about product marketing, about brand marketing really helped me set the brand that I was looking to put forth. And I think the one thing that I can say that I feel like I did accomplish with our colors and branding is that it's noticeable. And because I know that the frozen dessert industry is it's a large industry, it's so crowded, I wanted to be able for people to say, look for the pink pint in the store. So I thought about that. And then I've been working to build relationships because and reaching out to people. Sometimes you just have to ask. And I'm not going to say everyone's going to say yes, but some people will say no. And you take that no and you move on to the next store. I don't know how many businesses I have asked that have told me no, but 16 have told me yes. So with that, then you look at the brand of the store, the type of store. I know that all my product won't do well in all stores because of the price point or how many more selections of ice cream they have there. But I know that if this store has the type of customer that I want to attract, that has the income, that can spend a little extra for my product, then those are the stores that I'm looking to put my product in. You mentioned before, well, I think that you mentioned that y'all are next to each other at a lot of the, what are they called? Farmer's markets. Thank you very much. So is that how you got your start? So Farmer's Market is the first open place. The first store we were in is actually Curb Market. And before that, Years before that, I used to just make it and sell it. That's actually how I started. I would play with recipes and give them to my family. And they would say it was good. And, you know, you always think family's just telling you it's good because it's family. And then friends started telling me it was good and friends of friends. And from that point, I was like, this could be viable. So then I was selling it during the pandemic. And then, of course, you have to do things the right way with the product. So I looked into it. I started at the farmer's market this summer. Curb Market was the first store and we have grown from there. How many regulations affect somebody with a product that they wanted to take, a food product especially? For us, there are a lot of where you have state regulations, you have county regulations that you have to go through. You also have just the dairy industry as a whole, USDA, Tennessee Agriculture. I don't even know if I could count them all. Everything you have to check to be able to do that. But I would say probably five to eight to start. And then to scale nationally, there would be another level as well. Well, Randy, I guess I'm going to bring this to you because she's got everything that she needs. And you obviously decided that you wanted to have her product in your store. So what would make you decide? How do you go about choosing what you're going to sell at Superlab? Most of the national brands, of course, we're going to carry But we do like to carry as many locally produced items as we can. I didn't make the decision, but I put her in touch back before the first of the year with Tom Labram, who for us, he's the gatekeeper, and he approved it. She had to show that she had the certificates and the insurance, et cetera. So we gave her a shot. Oh, he also tasted it, and he told me it was great. (laughs) Good to hear. Uh, Salted caramel. Yeah. So anyway, that's how she got in. Now, I can't tell you how she's doing. I thought she was in one store. And this morning she tells me she's in three of our stores now. If she sells enough to earn her shelf space, 
she'll be there. So with the grocery store experience, when you've seen local brands get on the shelves at either of your grocery stores, what is your experience of which ones did well and which ones didn't? I mean, once you've got the licenses and all the things you need to get in the store, what results in good results? We have several that have done very well, and we have several that have fallen by the wayside. It depends on your packaging, your distribution. Are you keeping up with your inventories? How are you getting into the store? Do we have to turn around and order it from you? Or are you going to come bring it to us? We're not going to call you when it's time to Restock. bring in some more product. <laughs> so you need to be on top of that. But the ones that have done well have a reasonable price point, a good product, and typically they've sampled the product a lot. I have a question just in general. Is there a formula that you use to decide when a product is in the grocery store? You mentioned shelf space and all of that. Is there any kind of formula that we're not aware of when you're deciding how much of what product you're going to stock and everything in a store? Art? Well, <laughs> <laughs> can tell you want like to say Randy, something. In our business, it used to be our business, you view your shelf space as real estate. And you're looking for the return on each lineal foot. And if Kamisha puts her product in and she's got X feet and you have a model that you've got to get X return on those feet and she doesn't measure up to that, what we used to do anyway, if it was a hometown product, we would go to her and say, look, you're not measuring up. We need to do something. What about you, Randy? Same? The same. If it's just not selling, we're not going to give up real estate for it, but we're willing to give it time. It doesn't have to happen in the first week or two. Well, it's not going to happen to Kamisha anyway, because the ice cream's good. So <laughs> but you go but back to what Randy general. earlier said, with a new product that's in crowded space, sampling has got to be the answer. It's just mandatory almost. Well, if people don't know you, and they're walking down the aisle and they look in the frozen door and they see ice cream. Well, they can buy a half gallon of Bluebell and it's a good ice cream for, it depends on the month or the week, but $6.99 to $8.99. You've got to convince them you're up there with Ben and Jerry's. Kamisha, do you consider social media the current version of sampling? Actually, it's a good way to get the brand out there. But as far as taste, I would still say sampling was it because you can't taste through social. You can see, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, to actually taste it and we can describe it as creamy. We can describe it as flavorful. We can use all of those things. But until you experience it and it matches the description, then that's when I think it really clicks for people. That is a very unique opportunity in today's world that didn't exist in the past, because in the past, if you wanted to advertise, you had to get on a real TV channel, you had to pay a lot of money. And here you can sort of develop it yourself from the ground up, which I think is a very unique opportunity. It's definitely played a part with how we've gotten the word out about case pints and scoops. And it allows you to reach people that you may never come and contact you in the stores that you're sampling. And so from that standpoint, it's a reach that we didn't always have. And even today, 
I study the numbers all the time about, I just look at like how many people looked at my post, how many people liked it. And then I think about how many more people are out there in the world. So it's still a strategy and a thought process to figure out, well, how can I reach the people that's not already in my circle? And even if with the thought of scaling, I was having a conversation with someone and I was like, even if I scale, I still have to be able to reach people outside of Memphis. So I still have to share the product outside of Memphis for it to be successful. So Facebook and Instagram, social media does help, but there is a piece of marketing that you can't take away for food with sampling. I've never been in a grocery store. I mean, I've been to Costco and Sam's when they've had tasting, but do y'all normally do that in grocery stores? We don't typically do it with our own payroll, but a lot of vendors will come in and the big ice cream companies typically will do that, but it's done typically by the vendor, the salesperson. You got an added expense is what you're saying in addition to the cost of the product. But by the same token, I'll bet you you have 15,000 transactions a week per store or more. That's pretty much true across all nine of them. So you got 15,000 opportunities in each of his nine stores. So figure the statistics on how many of those you can hit on with your sampling product. You got a lot of folks There's a lot of opportunity there. Certainly is, and especially when it is such a good product. Well, before we take questions from everybody in the audience, do you have anything else that any of you were thinking that when you came to this panel, you wanted to make sure you said? In our racket there, we had a large team and building a culture within our company. That's very true. was something that we focused on 24-7. And if you've got... One, two, three, a hundred. I just think getting everybody on the same page, understanding what you're all about, where your head is, what your expectations are, conduct, whatever. But culture and how you develop it, from our perspective, was the thing. Cecil did a very good job of that. I always looked up to them and thought tremendous amount of their operation and what they did. Kind of glad he's gone. (laughs) (laughs) So is he. (laughs) I told Art talking to him about a week ago that the best thing that ever happened to us, he sold out to a company called Bruno's, the headquartered in Birmingham. And a year later, they sold out to Albertsons. And Albertsons was very, very good to us. So... (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like there's more to that story, doesn't it? That would be a different panel. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I don't know. I think I want to hear. Does anybody have any questions for anybody on the panel? Can I ask Kamisha to catch us up? The next big thing, I think, if I remember correctly, you said that if you won, you were going to use the money to get another machine so you could increase production. So are you selling everything you got now? You need that machine? You bought that machine? Where are you? At the next big thing competition, our big need at the time was to purchase a mobile ice cream cart, which would increase our reach. So our ice cream cart has been purchased and it will be here in April. So with that, you'll be able to see us at a lot more festivals and a lot more parks. And throughout the summer, it allows us to be a lot more mobile. We've done that as well as we have invested in a marketing campaign. So we have dollars now that we can invest in that. So our capacity is increasing. 
given that card because we can do a lot more festivals right now. Our month of June, I can say it's booked, which I'm really proud of. We'll increase our production once we are into the spring months. So right now you're making enough to keep up with demand. At what point do you have to buy another ice cream making machine? So the good thing about the ice cream making machine is we have a 12 quart machine and we can make a batch, a 12 quart batch of ice cream in about 10 to 12 minutes, depending on the flavor. So we wouldn't necessarily need a new machine for that. We would just need to be able to increase production time. And then with increasing production time, we would need to bring on a production assistant. And that would be the other part that could help us increase. So right now we churn four to six hours once a week. And then we'll be able, when we need to increase, we'll just have to increase that to two days of four to six hours. And then that will increase our capacity of products to sell. That's great news. <laughs> Even better news is that if you're going to the dinner, we're hoping that the cart is in before April 15th. So you will get an ice cream treat as you leave the dinner this year from Kay's Pints and Scoops. Remind us what is the date of the dinner? April the 15th. Check out our social media for details. Who else has questions? Okay. My question is for the gentleman on the panel. I realize that personal care products are not the primary focus of a grocery store. However, every grocery store I've ever been in does have personal care products. And I was just wondering if you could kind of talk about the experience with maybe hair care products like shampoo, conditioner, anything like that, and how would a local company be able to have their products in your store? Hair care products are a small piece of our business. That business is sort of owned by the big box stores like Target and Walmart, the drug stores. We do obviously do some business with hair care, but it's not a big thing for us. Most of our product comes through company called Value Merchandisers that is a subsidiary of Associated Wholesale Grocers, who is our main supplier. But we have had, I had an older gentleman, and oh my goodness, I'm probably reaching back 15 years into my memory hole now, but he would come around. He represented products made here in Memphis for African-Americans, and he sold us a good bit of product now. Somewhere along the line, he died. He was pretty old when I met him. <laughs> and I haven't seen anybody out pushing his products since then. But it's something that y'all would consider selling locally owned? Oh, we did. Okay. Sounds very good. I mean, if you got a product that we think can sell, we'll give it a shot. If it sells, and we're happy for you to come back. If it doesn't, well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> we tried. My question is to Mr. Cecil. Going from a small business to distribution, what did that timeline and what did that experience look like for you coming from a person who has a small product, who has admirations to get to distribution? Well, we started in 1858. We had a pretty long runway. Long pipeline. <laughs> but, you know, go back to what I said earlier. If you have the right culture and you have a product that differentiates you from your competition, much as we have with the ice cream here. If you hook up with Randy or with us in, in the day, you get in one store and you're successful, you're getting it all up. I think I've understood what you asked. The best way to answer your question would be to get with a wholesale distributor. Am I off base there, Randy? Oh, no. If you got into VMC, right. you've got 
little over 3,000 stores could buy your product. Now, you've still got to get into those stores and convince them to buy it. And to get into VMC, you're going to have to be in several stores already and prove to them that you got something that will sell. I will say that AWG has built a new warehouse in Hernando. It's fully automated. VMC is moving into that warehouse and its picking will be automated. And all 3,000 plus stores that AWG supplies will be pulling out of that Hernando warehouse and can pull that product. Sounds like a place you want to be. My husband, when we first moved to Memphis, we moved to Memphis because he worked for Johnsonville Foods. And so he called on the grocery stores here and their company would go back and forth. And this was in the early 90s. So they would go back and forth between having sales reps and then having people who repped many products. Is that what you're talking about? Well, you've got to get in front of the retailer. You can do it by your own sales force or you can get a broker. I would recommend your own sales force at least early on. That's what my question, just I was just thinking about their plight because they had a great marketing campaign that put them over while he was there. You did say Johnsonville? Yes. They still sell pretty well. Well, he's not with them anymore, but we were very popular. We got invited to a lot of barbecues lot of, if of we would drink the rocks. <laughs> <laughs> I love to grill Johnsonville for, uh, sausages. Hey, Charlie, or whatever the advertisement was, it was really great, and that was their thing. But it just reminded me they were trying locally or regionally to get in different places, and they worked sometimes with brokers and sometimes with their own reps as they expanded. There's only a couple of large brokers left. They've all consolidated. And if you haven't already established yourself, they're not going to pay you a lot of attention. The brokers going into different stores are selling what's making them money. So you've got to become a moneymaker before they're going to do anything for you. And to follow along with that, from what you said, the brokers and there's only a limited number of places that your product is going to have a toehold, especially to get started. Would either, or Mr. Stevenson suggest, maybe co-branding with either a confectionery or a bakery to get more exposure? Because that cart can only take you to so many places. Well, I'll just say for us, we have started partnering. We do have a few flavors that we did over the holidays with a local bake shop, a well-known bake shop here. So we partner with Muddy Bake Shops to do our ice cream flavors over the Christmas holidays. And we're working on some more collaborations because we do know that their reach is our reach. But we also want to make sure it's a brand that complements us as well as we complement them. So from that standpoint, for us, I understand that there is partnerships and collaborations also help the brand to grow. Because like you said, there's only so far the cart will take you. There are only so many people that you can reach being out. But when you partner with someone that's great or that has a well-known brand or that's willing to bring you alongside them, then it does give your product, I would even say, more credibility in some ways. Because most brands will partner with the brand that isn't up to par. Well, I'm impressed that you got tied in with Muddy. <laughs> Thank you. That is a, a very good. Emails. And we know that you can buy your product at Superlab. 
and Curb Market Warehouse so that when everybody wants to rush out of here and go buy K's Pints and Scoops, where can they go? Well, we are in very close proximity here. So you can buy us at Muddy's Bake Shop, at Sweet Lala's in Germantown, High Point, Curbside, Casserole, <laughs> Super Long Spotswood, High Point, South Point, Big River Market, Grind City Grocer on Main, Cash Saver on Madison, Cash Saver on Elvis Presley, and on Third Street, and Miss Cordelia's. And I still feel like I forgot to, but yes. So it seems like a lot of the ones that you're doing are the locally owned boutique groceries and things. So that's a great niche market for you, for sure. How do you decide in the grocery stores whose products go on what shelf? Who gets to be on the bottom shelf? We have to get down on the ground and look for it. We're up so high. <laughs> That's a math question. <laughs> That's a whole story. But I will tell you that most grocery store sets, they're done using movement data. Now, in the past, your warehouse would come in and they'd set it the way they want. And then when they were gone, you'd have to tweak it to take care of the local or things you knew that the warehouse didn't were doing well. Today, I have a company. I'm a part owner in the company headquartered in Nashville, and it's an advertising negotiating company. And we've got a software company that has systems that extract data from our point of sale on a daily basis. And so we can produce reports from them we know, or can know, I don't go look at it every day, but we know what's selling in our stores and can do a set based on that data. We have a contract with this company and they have brokers <laughs> that they pay who will come into our stores and reset sections based on that movement data. I just want to mention too, that as part of the Cecil's culture, I know back in the 70s you had tasting events at the store and to make a community feel welcome into the stores. And we used to all go to those. So those were great. Thank you for that. Thank you. Good idea. Mr. Cecil, I think I heard you say your business also encompassed distribution. Is that right? Yes. How did you get from grocery store to distribution? Well, they were together. At the back of one of the grocery stores, we had this big warehouse and we would buy, I'll give you just a truckload of Charmin toilet paper. And then we would redistribute it to all the stores from there. We had a network of trucks that delivered from our manufacturing plants. and We just worked that into the cycle. But it was the only thing we bought were high moving items. We didn't buy anything that when it came in, it almost went out immediately. We do the same thing. We bought the old mega market on American Way. Same thing. We turned it into a distribution center and we purchased truckloads direct from the manufacturer. And it's high moving items and it's on deal when we buy it. So we don't buy it at book price. So you get the deal merchandise into your warehouse, deal merchandise of fast moving products. And then we distribute it out to our stores and it helps us hold pricing down you buy extra. We used to call it forward buying. What do we they call it? Yeah, now? we've probably got $2 million of inventory in that warehouse. 
Well, and Randy, one of the things that I remember from when you were inducted into the society was that was one of the reasons Superlow did so much better during the pandemic, because, because you had things in your own warehouse. Early on in the pandemic, it really did help. We had 11 truckloads of toilet paper in our own warehouse. <laughs> and everybody knows that when the pandemic hit, toilet paper disappeared. It disappeared later out of our stores <laughs> because we had those 11 truckloads on hand. That's great. I was just make the observation. The Society of Entrepreneurs is here to support and educate starting businesses, upcoming businesses. And it's great to see some people taking notes and learning from this conversation. I'll also ask Kamisha, so you said you have a business plan. What does a successful version of the future look like for you? For my business plan, when I first started, a lot of people think ice cream scoop shops. And I looked at the longevity of most businesses and a lot of them were in the wholesale production side of things. And for me, that's where I wanted to start. But as I think about how we can grow, I would love to become a national brand, of course, and to scale up to that. So that is one of the main things to scale the business to be a nationally known brand. That's what we're looking for. For where we are right now, my goal is to become a regional brand. So it's like a local or regional, then a national. So that's how we are. And then eventually maybe get into being an actual scoop shop, but an experience-based scoop shop. So it's not just your, I'm coming in to get an ice cream cone type of thing. That's probably the long term. And then you can ask my sister over there. I have a long list of other things I would love to do. A very long <laughs> list. <laughs> when she started asking about distribution, it's because I always talk about distribution because I know the distribution in the area that we're in, getting into the distribution field would benefit Cave as it grows, but it's also an area that I think has longevity. Awesome. Thank you. Anybody else have any questions? No more questions. You all know exactly what you're going to do now to go get your product into market. So Art, Randy, Kamisha, anything that you want to say before we wrap it all up? Good luck. If I can help you in any way. We'll do. Oh, thank you. you. Write that down, Kamisha. That's for sure. So. There you go. Thank That's... you. Thank you. As a new entrepreneur to people or new in this space to people that would like to get their product in, I say study the business and know your product. So when you're able to have conversations, you can have well-informed conversations about your product and the business. That is one of the things that I learned early on. And you're always a continuous learner. There are things I learn every day, like sitting here taking mental notes all day long. I mean, all hour long, but know your business and have a business plan. And you're not going to stick to your business plan, but it's at least a guide to help you get you where you're going. Very true. And you also do have where you deliver ice cream, the flavor of the month. Or we have the Pink Paint Club, which is a delivery service. We deliver three pints of ice cream to your doorstep the last weekend of every month. I mean, it always features a new flavor of the month. If you want ice cream delivered to your door, just see me before you leave. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds very good. Jay, do you have anything else before we wrap up? Any other questions? Well, then I'm going to put in a plug for our next month's meeting. On April the 4th, we're going to do another tour out in the community, and we're going to be at Youth Villages at Bill's Place. Pat Lawler will be there talking about the programs, and hopefully what we want them to really focus on a lot is the Memphis Allies program, where they're working with youth and about the gun problems in the city. So I think it's going to be very interesting and very informative. Hope to see some of you here. Thank you so much to this panel. I would give you all some round of applause. I'm sitting with this microphone. <laughs>
We really, really appreciate it. Kamisha, and I think you do such a great job with your brand and being able to explain your brand, which is why she won the next big thing. We're very excited for you. Congratulations on your continued success. Thank you. And Randy and Art, we really appreciate y'all being here. They'll be here for a few more minutes. And I think that Mary said that she can do some tours. If anybody wants to see Junior Achievement, the new BizTown, there is a school in session right now. So you need to not be walking into the other parts of the building without somebody from Junior Achievement, but they would love to show you around. So thank you all so much for being here. We really appreciate it. Have a great day. Hope you enjoyed our panel discussion with Kamisha Wilson, Randy Stieferson, and Art Cecil. If you'd like to find out more about their companies or some of the organizations and nonprofits we mentioned in the conversation, please check our show notes. Also in our show notes is something very interesting. It's a recipe from Cecil's grocery store that we all miss. It's chocolate butter pie. Enjoy. Enjoy.